is my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today, I'm going to talk about something that generally I bring up about every two years. It's how to buy a printer for your business or home use. I also want to talk about something you know I love, electric vehicles of all types, including scooters and electric bikes. Because of what's happened with gas prices, their popularity has gone through the roof. But I want to talk about things you should know about using anything electric as an alternative to driving around in your expensive-to-fill gasoline vehicle. So I want to talk about something expensive that makes gasoline seem cheap. So best calculations I've seen are that Hewlett-Packard Inc. for a Hewlett-Packard printer costs about $7,000 a gallon. The Hewlett-Packard realized in their printer business years ago, hey, you know what? Gillette's got it right. Gillette came up with this business model where they sell you a razor and lose money on the razor to get you hooked on their proprietary blades that have a profit margin that is beyond imagination. And Hewlett-Packard was like, hey, this is great. Then they came up with the thing of the subscription, where you subscribe, where you pay for every page you print. And, I mean, you got to give Hewlett-Packard credit for understanding consumer behavior, because people will go into um, an Office Depot, Office Max, Staples, or go into a Best Buy, or Sam's, or Costco, or BJ's Wholesale, and look at the printer's. And they go down the line and they look for the one with the cheapest price, Hewlett-Packard. They put it in their cart, they buy it, and don't realize the one ink cartridge costs twice what the printer costs to buy. That's their business model. Well, Consumer Reports has just updated what are the best deals on printers in the country for overall use. And Hewlett-Packard, which is completely dominant in the printer industry, only one of their printers even made the list. So first, something that will infuriate Krista. Doesn't infuriate me. I snuck a peek. You threw it off an office building. No, I didn't, but I did want to. Have you ever seen that movie Office Space? They take the... It's a great movie. They take the office printer and fax machine, which is always breaking out into a field, and they have like music playing, and they're like beating it with a baseball bat and kicking it, and they just destroy the thing. Well, that's what you wanted to do with the Epson printer that I recommended. Well, we had it in the office. So their best home printer, home home printer for the long run, the Epson EcoTank ET-2800. Now, um, these printers are advanced from the one you wanted to throw off the building or take into the yeah. field. Yeah. But I think we had one in the office that was an old one of yours. And I do have one at home and my family hates it because it's just, tr- we have trouble connecting to it all the time. That's the issue. Okay. But we don't have that problem. Yeah. We have two of these 
at home. We don't have a problem with them. But anyway, this one is uh, street price right now is about $199 and shop around to find at that price. And why would you pay $200 for a color printer when you could go buy the HP or something like that for $79? The reason you do that is if you're doing decent volume over the years, you know, low to moderate volume, the ink is basically free. That they did a completely different thing. They said, we're going to sell you a printer, we make a profit on, and here's the ink. And so I've never had to buy ink for either of ours, and we print more than most people, do a lot of work printing too on it, and they just work. They just keep going. But let's say you are someone who prints almost not at all, just very, very occasionally. Consumer Reports recommends an $89 Canon printer. The cost of printing pages, much more expensive than on the Epson. But if you're doing really small volume, buying it for $89, it's the Canon, would you call this Pixma? Pixma. Pixma. Mm -hmm. MG3620. 89 bucks. P-I-X-M-A. But what if you just want a volume printer and you're dull like me and you just want black and white? Again this year, the top winner, a brother printer. The brother laser printer, HL. This is so long. L2370DW. If you run to our podcast, you're not going to be able to remember that right. That's okay. You can look at Consumer Reports. You can um, go to the library and see it for free or go online and you can buy access. 139 bucks. Mm-hmm. If you print in black and white, that's great. And the ink is ultra cheap, relatively speaking, for the amount of printing you might do. So that one is great. And there, those are the three tops. I'm going to stop there because we got... High volume color, low volume color, and then uh, moderate to high volume black and white. And all three are extra cheap to buy, extra cheap to run. And Hewlett Packard, I'm watching you. I'm watching you because you're trying to pickpocket from my listeners. And I won't stand for it. You don't have to do everything that Gillette does. You can actually have an original thought and offer people a good deal instead of your bait and switch. Now, we did have a Clark Stinks post from someone who is an ultra-low volume printer. And for them, the Hewlett-Packard subscription, because they print less than 100 pages a year, the Hewlett-Packard subscription they found was very economical. I want to give Hewlett Packard an instant rebuttal right there, but I hate your business model. I just do. I don't even know if your printers are any good, although Consumer Reports has you at the bottom of the list. I can tell you, I hate the way you rip people off at $7,000 a gallon for ink. Imagine you were filling up your car at $7,000 a gallon. Let's get to some questions. Let's do this it. is from Victoria in Georgia. I received a call the other night from a person who said he had received a spam call from my number. 
I had the phone with me all day and no one else had access to it. We also have a VPN on our phones. What can I do to protect my phone and those who know me? Victoria, you, um, I hate to say you can't. This is called caller ID spoofing. And anybody with even minimal technical ability can caller ID spoof. It is a problem with how caller ID works. There are systems that supposedly are going in place that verify that the call coming in, stir and shaken is what it's called, that verify that the call really is coming from the caller ID identified. And I use UMail, other people use different systems that try to block something they know is not coming from the actual real number. But this hopefully will be a rare occasional issue and not a common constant pain for you. This is from Becky in Pennsylvania. What are your thoughts on or your experience with online optical services that reuse your frames and change out the lens based on your new prescription? So I love it. I didn't know there were any that did that. Uh, Historically, online sellers of glasses have high volume grinding operations for the lenses and they make, they are able to do better quality control generally because they only put the new lenses in new frames that you purchase from them so they know how to make the shapes and sizes that they sell. If you found somebody who does online grinding of lenses and will do so for the frames you already have, you've just taught me something because I didn't know such a thing existed. This is from Andrew in Washington. I have an HSA from a previous employer with about $800 in it. I now work for an employer that offers great health care, but no HSA option. The problem with my HSA is that about every six months or so, I get a letter saying it's transferring to a new company and I need to then create a new account online, get a new card, etc. My most recent letter said that the new provider will also now charge me a $4 monthly fee. Since I'm more than 25 years from being able to cash out without a penalty, what should I do? It's exhausting dealing with the new providers all the time. And now at $50 a year, I just don't think it's worth maintaining the account. You're completely right, Andrew. You're getting cheated. You're getting ripped off completely on the HSA. A lot of employers who have HSAs don't know how to pick an HSA provider. An HSA is a health savings account. You have to have a health insurance plan from an employer that triggers eligibility to have an HSA, which is a wonderful tax-benefited account that is more tax-beneficial than even my all-time favorite Roth IRA. It's even better than that. So paying the fees destroys the value of the 800 you have in the account, and the money's sitting in a savings-type account earning basically nothing with the very poor choices that your employer made, and now your ex-employer transferring who manages this account. Move the money to Fidelity Investments. Fidelity charges no fees on their HSAs. You'll be able to move the 800 over. You should, because of your long time window, you should invest it. Put it in something like the Fidelity uh, Zero Total Stock Market Index Fund. And just let it run for the next 25 years, and you'll have uh, what should turn into a decent amount of money 
towards paying medical expenses for you in retirement, unreimbursed medical expenses. Because even like with Medicare, you're going to have some out of pocket and that HSA money will become valuable. You also have the right under the law to not use the crummy HSA provider that most employers end up signing up with. Just because they're busy running their businesses, they don't know how to pick these. So you can go to Fidelity, you can go to Vanguard, go to a low-cost provider to fund your HSA instead of the crummy one your employer picked. And again, the employers are not trying to hurt you because the employer, the boss, is hurting himself or herself as well, not knowing they picked a rotten HSA. So up next, there are new trends that have been really, really hot over the last couple of months for getting around town that help you avoid the high cost of gasoline. But they're different. So I'm a trifecta in what I'm about to talk about. I have an electric scooter, an electric bike, and an electric vehicle. They all have different purposes in my life. Being able to ride the electric bike or electric scooter allow me to get around traffic when traffic is bad and they cost like nothing to run. I remember when I talked about buying my electric bike from Walmart for $398, people were like, what did you say? $398? Uh, obviously, with what's going on with gas prices now, they've sold out of the 398s, but I'm still seeing electric bikes from multiple places around 600 bucks. The beauty is that you can, in many, many places now, you can hop out and about and not worry about being made road pizza by somebody in an SUV running you down, uh, not to pick on SUVs, but they're not as likely with a higher, higher sight line to see somebody on a bike or a scooter. But anyway, so many of us live in places where there might be bike paths, at least in part, we can get around and we're not having to fuel the tank and we're getting around traffic. But something that really surprised me and something I did not expect was a Wall Street Journal story that since gas prices went up, there are people doing really significantly long commutes on those little electric scooters, the kind that you just stand on and you hold on the handlebars and you stand on a flat platform and you just ride those things. They typically go 12 to 15 miles an hour, though 15 is a little fast if you go flying off one of those. But in a lot of congested areas, not only are you avoiding all the cost of gasoline, but you potentially can commute much, much faster on the electric scooter than you could driving. You know, there's, a, there's an area I go to, um, I go to a Schwab office near my home, and the Schwab office is three quarters of a mile away, and I live in a really congested area. I walk there quicker than I can drive. If I went on a scooter, I could cover that three quarters of a mile in, I guess, like two and a half, three minutes. Driving it is forever, and it's three quarters of a mile. And then you don't use any gas at all. I never ride my scooter there because it's an opportunity for me to get some steps in, get some exercise. 
but I sure have thought about it as a way to wander around really quickly. And my son uses it to go longer distances where he just does that instead of driving. I thought when he got his license, he wouldn't ride the scooter anymore. He still finds a lot of times that the scooter is better and quicker. The quicker is an emphasis. So this thing of having a dual purpose of avoiding the cost of gasoline right now, and if you commute or part of your travel is in a corridor where you could actually save a lot of time riding an electric scooter or an electric bike, the payback on them is so, so fast. My electric bike, I've had some snide comments about uh, how bad the quality of it might be. It's actually been very high quality, but with scooters, they do vary a lot in quality, even not necessarily related to price. When you see other people riding them, you want to ask, hey, how have you found, how stable have you found this? How rough is it over bumps? Things like that. How good's the braking? You want to ask people who use one to find one that really seems like one you'd be happy on and comfortable on. And most important thing, be safe out there if you do this kind of stuff. Because one of our former producers was on his, he was on a regular pedal bike, not an electric He got hit by a car one day and wasn't hurt badly. But, man, you got to know those cars, the car was in the wrong, but uh, really, really scary getting hit on a bike. Yes. All right, we'll go to some questions now. This was from Sandra in Wisconsin. I like the idea of electric cars, and I appreciate your enthusiasm for them. Will they continue to be exclusively for people of privilege, even if the purchase price comes down? Charging is easy for someone with a garage or standalone home. Realistically, what about apartment dwellers? How do you see large apartment complexes adding enough charging capacity for all their residents? That is a great question. This is something that the marketplace will solve. I have no doubt that charging infrastructure will lag a little, but will absolutely get the job done. There will be any of a number of landlords who realize a way to attract tenants is going to be to have enough electric vehicle charging. My middle child lives in an apartment complex where when she moved in two years ago, there were two people in the apartment complex that had electric vehicles. And there was one charger there, and they shared it. Now there are 15 electric vehicles at her apartment complex, from 2 to 15 in two years. And now she can't ever get a charger, and the apartment complex has not been willing so far to put in more chargers. But the marketplace will take care of that because the apartment across the street It's going to say, hey, we can snag tenants if we put them in. And you're going to see convenience stores all over the place want to put them in because people spend more money when they're there longer charging an electric vehicle. So this will come. But the other thing that no one talks about is the ability to charge a vehicle much quicker is gradually happening. And so the time that you'll have to devote to using a charger 
will steadily get better. I used, uh, I have a Tesla and I used a Tesla supercharger the other day, which was a brand new state of the art one that was charging the vehicle at 900 miles of range an hour. So let's say you're trying to get 200 miles range. That's about 12 minutes, I guess, is what it takes. And I remember I was on a road trip. I parked, went in to use the bathroom. And before I got back to the car, I'd already gotten the warning from Tesla. I needed to move my vehicle because I'd gotten all the charge I was supposed to at that stop. So this problem will solve itself. This is from Gary in Connecticut. I'm considering purchasing an EV as my next vehicle, but I feel at a disadvantage because I don't qualify for the big tax credits that are available. I'm retired and I live off of Social Security and my investments, so my tax liability is nowhere near the level required for the $7,500. Since retirees seem to be a perfect target market for EVs, do you foresee any other options for us to save money as the market expands? So the real opportunity is going to be buying a used electric vehicle because you may not be driving an enormous number of miles and the older EVs depreciate because the newer ones tend to have much more range and then you're not going to have to worry about the tax credit you missed out on and you'll be able to buy a vehicle at a lower price. I mean, right now, any electric vehicle, new or used, they're really inflated in price, but we're not going to be in this right now situation for that long. And so buying a used one would be the ticket because you spend a lot less money on it. And then the $7,500 credit isn't even relevant at that point. And this is from Ken in Ohio. I love my 2015 Kia Rio. Is that how you say it? Yep. The car is paid off and I'm nearing my 100,000 mile warranty expiration. Isn't that awesome that Kia does that 100,000 miles engine transmission? It's incredible. He has 99,900 miles on it. Should I purchase an extended warranty plan through the dealership or a third party? Or should I just set money aside in an interest bearing account for car repairs? What would you recommend? All right. So Ken, at 100,000 miles, I doubt Kia will sell you an extended warranty. The one the dealer would sell you that's a third party would be junk just as much as any third party warranty you'd find because the dealer would just be selling you one that is not backed by anybody of note. So I would not consider buying an extended warranty and I would do the savings account unless I'm wrong and Kia will sell you a meaningful extension of the warranty. I'm not talking Kia dealer. I'm talking about Kia, the manufacturer, sells you a manufacturer's own extension. But I'm really doubtful they would do it. But I'd rather you just have the cash in case the vehicle needs a repair. And I want to thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Remember to visit us at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com anytime you'd like to fatten that wallet of yours. 